Good morning. Today's daf is daf Chof Hey. I'm going to go from the, we'll start it again, the sixth last line of Chof Dalet Amud Beis, 24b. Um, today's shir, today's is the Hayom Tisha Ushloishim Yom Shem Chamishosh Vos Arba'a Yomim Ba'omer. It's the 39th day of the Omer. Um, today's shir is Li'ulu Nishmas Ben Zion Ben Ze'ev Avram Halevi. Shulam is Bas Ben Zion Mordechai, David Yis- and David Yisrael Ben Chanoch Yitzchak. May their memories be a blessing and may their Neshamas have an Aliyah. It is also for Rufuah Shleima of Reuven Ben Rivka and Reuven, so Reuven Ben Leah and Pesa Bas Shaina Bela. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. Um, same family, different systems, right? Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. different grandmothers. <laughs> yeah. Grandmother. yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um. <laughs> so, the Gemara asks, what clothes were they wearing when they did the lottery? As we'll see, remember, they did the lottery before doing the Avodah. So, but Mama Faisim, what were they wearing doing the lottery? Rav Nachman, Omar, Big Day Chol. Rav Nachman says in Big Day Chol. Rav Sheish says, Omar, Big Day Kodesh. Rav Sheish says in Big Day Kodesh. I, um, they came in their, let's say, suits and ties. And Rav Sheish says, no, they were wearing their, their uh, clothes. The big day kuhuna. Rav Nachman Omar be big day chol. He says, why do why do I why am I confident that it's big day chol? Says Diomar big day kodesh ikabalei zroist the chamsiv avdi. Because if you say it's it's big day chol, well, what about the the powerful kohanim who will come and force their way and do the avoda? they'll they'll bully the let's say a younger smaller kohen will win the lottery to do the trumas adeshen. A more powerful kohen might like push him away intimidate him and go and do the avoider. But if he's not dressed and ready for the avoider, he's not going to go get dressed to come and bully this person. Says Rav Sheshes, Omar, the big day koidej, no, Rav Sheshes says they must have been wearing big day koidej, the Omar, the big day chol, agav, chavivusei, mikri vavdi. He says, no, because if you say that, they were, there's always a concern that if they were wearing their big day chol, so granted he's dressed nicely, he's wearing a suit, but if he runs, he's going to be so excited to do the avoider when he wins the lottery, he's going to run straight away and do it, not wearing Big Day Kahuna, and that would poison the, the avoider would be invalid. So for Omar, so that's why, that's, so that's what the Machloikas is based on. Again, Rav Nachman holds they were wearing Big Day Chol, Rav Sheshes holds um, Big Day Kodesh, and we just saw their reasons. Now Rav Nachman's going to bring us support. He says, Omar Rav Nachman, you know, Aminelo, how do I know this? Tatnan. We learned in a Mishnah that this Mishnah is discussing after the Kohen won the lottery. It says, They would hand him over to the assistants. They would remove their clothes. He would only leave his pants on. They'll find his pants. Now my love, who are these that have gone to get dressed? Those that have gone to do their lottery. I.e., he goes, he goes to the Shamus who's got the, the assistant who's got all the clothes ready. He won, wins the lottery. He goes to him and he takes off all his clothes except his pants. And then he's going to start putting on the big day kahuna, leaving his pants there. So he says, so that's how Rav Nachman learned. So Omar Rav Huna, because again, according to Rav Huna, if he's wearing his big day kodesh already, 
why is he going back and putting on his clothes? So Omar Avuna Bariura Maravshesh is low boys and shalazakulapais. We're not talking about someone getting dressed to do the avoider. We're talking about those who did not win the lottery who have gone to get undressed. This is Hachanami Mistover, that's actually more logical. If you think we're talking about those who actually won the lottery, and they would only leave on them there, I that he would leave on his pants, his Michnasayim Shechol, his weekday, his regular pants, and get dressed in the rest of his big day kahuna and only then put on his pants. Again, that's how Rav Nachman seemed to learn because. What's, what, what did we say happened? He goes to the Kohen who removes all his regular clothes except for his pants, assuming that he's now going to put on his shirt, belt and hat, and then take off his old pants and put on his regular pants, put on his, take his regular pants off and put on his things. So he's putting on his pants last. The problem with that is, There's a atrocious. How do we know we don't put on any big day kahuna before the big day, the pants, the pants which are holy? The Torah says, The linen pants must be on his flesh. I, that extra albasoro is to teach us that they must be the first big day kahuna on his flesh. So, contrafshashas, it actually makes more sense that we're discussing the kohanim who remove their clothes and not the kohanim that put on their clothes, put on their big day kodesh. So the Gemara asks on that, he said, the Gemara says, so how would Rav Nachman explain it? Again, we run into trouble with Rav Nachman, because Rav Nachman says, what's he, he's wearing his regular clothes, he goes to the sham, the assistant, to get dressed, and he removes all his clothes except his pants, which implies then that he's going to put on his big day koidesh, and then remove his regular pants and put on his holy pants, but we know he has to put on his pants first. So, so, so how does Rav Nachman explain it? He says, no, it's not difficult, this is what we're teaching. While his big day chola on him, he puts on his pants. Then they remove the rest of his regular clothes. And he's left standing in just his pants, but his big day koidesh. Again, the whole the, the way he gets dressed makes sense. Remember, you don't want him standing totally na- naked in a courtyard next to the chotzer. So, so what's Rav Nachman saying? How does he get dressed? He removes his pants with his old robe on, while his regular robe is still on, and he puts on the big day kahuna. Then the pants of the big day kahuna. Then he removes the rest of his clothes, so basically he's standing shirtless, and now he'll put on the tunic, and the belt and the hat. So that's the that's how Rav Nachman learns this piece, and therefore we can't actually bring a clear proof either way. Omar Rav Sheshes, Rav Sheshes says, where do I get what I said from? I Rav Sheshes said they do the lottery wearing big day kodesh. He says the Tanya as we learned in Abraisa, Lishkas Hagazis Kamin Basalki Gadoila Haisa. The Lishkas Hagazis was like a huge hall. I think that means it was very tall. I couldn't get it clear, but a, a great. Let's call it a great hall. Now remember, the Lishka Sarkozis was where the Sanhedrin sat. will become relevant soon. Um, so the lottery took place in the east of the chamber, and an elder sage, one of the Dayonim of the Sanhedrin, who would help run the lotteries, just make sure everything was going according to procedure, 
and the, all the halachas were being kept, but my rova would sit sit in the west of the chamber. The Kohanim would stand in a circle. And the Mamuna would come and take the Mitznefes, the hat of one of the Kohanim. The Mitznefes is the special big day, Kodesh. And they know that that's the person that they begin the lottery from. If you assume, like Rav Nachman, that they're wearing their regular clothes, well, who wears a mitznefes? Mitznefes is a specific type of hat that the Kohanim was part of the Big Day Kohuna. So again, so Rav Shesha says, clearly by the fact that it says, for the lottery, how do they know which Kohen to begin at? The one whose mitznefes has been removed. Must be his holy mitznefes. So therefore we see that they were dressed in their big day kodesh to do the lottery. I mean, interesting, we're not focusing on it, but by the way, we're so slowly picking up the details of how the lottery was performed. Luckily, I mean, I forgot to explain it right at the beginning, but I remembered a few duff in, but luckily Rashi and others explained it to us at the beginning. It says, And we know that, sorry, So the Gemara answers, In no, actually, actually, the Kohanim did have regular, um, did have mitznefes, even though they weren't part of the big day Kohuna. Why? Rav Yehuda, Rav Bar Yehuda, Rav Yehuda, and some say it was Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda, taught. If his mother made him a kasoines, his mother made him big day Kohuna, Oivad Bo, Avoidus yochit, he can do private avoidus, but not communal avoidus. I.e., Rashi explains, the mothers used to, he says, I'll read the Rashi, he says, um, The mothers used to make their sons, Mishelohem, from their own property, Kamin Big Day Kahuna, clothes that were similar to the Big Day Kahuna, Laharos Tiferes Oshram, to show their wealth, Venoi Malachton, and their great quality. Uh, Work the kamahain mahadros mitzvahs and how far they go for mitzvahs. I that they would hand sew these sons for their these clothes for their sons the kohanim. So now these clothes that their mothers made. Interesting enough, remember communal avoider had to be funded by the community. And remember we learned in the last masechta that everything had to come from the from the the shkolim. So the big day kohuna could not be owned made by their mother because then it's from their mother and not from the community. So they couldn't do communal avoiding those big day kahuna, but they were big day kahuna enough to do private avoidos. I'm not sure. I think that means for private individuals, or maybe it means only their own personal things. But I think it means um, for other, for anyone, like not a communal offering, but a private offering. But what do we, now what do, but what do we see there? So the Kohanim would be wearing a mitznefes. Granted, it's not a mitznefes, that they, a hat that they would be allowed to do the communal service in, but it was similar to Big Day Kahuna, and that's what he would wear. His mother would provide these clothes for him, and that's what he would wear to the base of Mikdash. If he got the lottery to do some of the communal service, well, then he'd have to go change into communal Big Day Kahuna and not his own personal Big Day Kahuna. Just a few interesting things that um, come up throughout this uh, piece that we've just done. Um, 
One is, we mentioned, according to um, Rav Nachman, why do they wear big day hold? Because we're afraid that someone will steal their merit of having won the lottery to go into the Avoida. So that he brings just the, the one, the one Sefer brings an interesting Hasam Sefer. He says, what happens if you have someone who's been given the honor to say Kaddish? It was especially relevant um, in certain shuls, and back in the day, it was more prevalent that only one person said Kaddish at a, at a time. South Africa now, the prevalent minag, I think, in many, many shuls, is that all the mourners say Kaddish together. But I know like in the Yeshiva Gadola and many old communities, the minag was that only one person says Kaddish at a time. So what happens if one person got the merit, they decided, okay, you, it's your, you've got your tzat, or you've got this reason, we'll give you the Kaddish, or it's your chance to say Kaddish, and another person jumps the gun and says Kaddish? So the Chassam Sofer says he doesn't gain that he said the Kaddish, and the other person doesn't lose, because the Kaddish goes, the merit of the Kaddish goes to the person who was meant to get it. So the person who jumped the gun doesn't gain from it. But then, so here, it shouldn't matter to the Kohen that uh, someone else steals his avoider. The avoider, the merit of the avoider will go to the Kohen that's supposed to deserve it. Um, that, I mean, that was a question that, uh, that, that was raised on the sugya. Personally, I don't think, but I think still there's certain mitzvahs that whether or not you get to do them out of oinais, whether it's out of your control, you try to do the mitzvah, but it's out of your control. It is still your. Um, it is there's still a special dimension of actually getting to physically perform the mitzvah, bringing that mitzvah into the world. So I think that we do see that elsewhere. So that's why I think there is still a dimension and you'd still want to be, even if you got the right and even if you get the merit for it, you would still want to be the one to actually perform the avoider. Okay, but that's, a, that's one uh, side point um, on this. Another interesting point here is we mentioned that the Kohen takes off his hat. The one who's starting the avoider takes off his hat. Uh, sorry, not the one who's starting the voida, the one who they're starting to count from. He takes off his hat so everyone knows where they're counting from. According to Rashi, it seems he leaves off his hat for the whole lottery in case they need to do a recount or something like that. He leaves his hat off so you always know the coin that you're beginning. According to the Rambam, he takes it off and he puts it straight back on. But either way, um, we see that he's not wearing his big day kahuna. Um... Yeah, so it seems that someone, I mean, we generally try not go without our heads uncovered. And you can imagine, especially in like a shul, we would try not go with our heads uncovered. But interesting enough, it seems where there's a need for the service, you could take your head, your hat, your hat or your yami off. And on that, again, Chashuke Chemed, as the Sefer I mentioned from Rav Zilverstein a few times, always brings very interesting uh, Discussions that come up that are touched on in the sugya. So he wants to know if someone's a spa, I think it's this one, and he can't wear a yami. So you have an Israeli in the Mossad and he's working in, Ira- in Iraq or Iran or you know wherever he's working. He can't take off. He can't put on his yami. So what does he do about brachas? Now obviously we're assuming it's a way that he can. Uh, um, uh, it's a way that he can that he can say the bracha without being caught out for saying it. 
But he's saying the bracha, so we know that you have to wear yarmi to say a bracha. So he goes into what's better, that he doesn't say the bracha because he's not wearing a yarmi, or since it's out of his control, his oines, he should say the bracha even though he's not wearing a yarmi. So that's an interesting thing that touches on this stuff. I remember hearing a shir with Rav Ashavas, and he goes into, again, it's a practical question nowadays. Israel has spas. They have people that have to send on missions into foreign territory. So you could have a religious Jew who's going on a mission into who, wherever he's going, I guess. He can't take his tefillin with him. He can't take any signs of Jewishness with him because if he's caught, it's very dangerous. So, um, so he goes into that issue, a, a, a dilemma that the state and religious soldiers or religious uh, agents face um, as a, like we think it's quite theoretical, but it's actually very, very practical for religious Jews in the army, especially those who go into uh, reconnaissance or spying, etc. Um, so that's, yeah, that's just interesting. That's touched on, I mean, that's an added point, but that's, yeah. Now we're going to go, Omar Abaya, he says, Abaya says, we see from here that the Lishkas Agozis, either chamber that the Kohen Godel sat, that the, Lottery performed that was performed, and we know the Sanhedrin was there, was half holy and half chol. I not literally chol, but half as holy as the temple courtyard and half as holy as the and half like Harabayis I chol. Bushmamina, second thing we learn from here, Snape Sofim Hoyula, Echot Pesach Pekodesh, Echot Pesach Pekodesh, Echot Pesach Pechol. There were also two doorways into it, one into the holy part and one into the whole part. And now he's going to say how we learn that from. He says, The Isal Kadaita Kula Bekodesh, Zoken Yoshe, Bemarova. If you want to say that it was all a holy chamber, well, how can you have the elder judge sitting? Says, How can you have, no one's allowed to sit in the temple courtyard except for a king from the house of David. Now, and if you want to tell me that the, all of the, the whole chamber was chol, I harabayas, well, we said that the lottery was in the we know the lottery had to, as we learned earlier, they would, with excitement, they would walk in the house of Hashem. The lottery had to take place in holy part of the Beis Amidash, in the Chotzer, not on Harapayas. must be half of it was holy and half it was uchol. Now the Now, so that's the first point. That's how clearly we see that half of the room. I mean, it also makes sense. The Sanhedrin would sit and judge. Now they couldn't sit if they were on in the Chotzer. Must be they were on Harapais, in a non-sacred part of that chamber. But the lottery had to take part place in the holy part of the chamber. If you want to tell me that there was only one entrance and the entrance was from the Kodesh, from the Chotzer, how could you have the elders sitting in the west? He says, Any doorway, any chamber that was built on Temple Mount, if its doorway into the chamber was from the Chotzer, it's inside his Kodesh. Now, if you want to say that the entrance was from Harapais into this chamber, and that the lottery took place in the east, says, even if it was built on temple, on, in the Chotzer, the chamber was built over the, over the Chotzer's area, 
but its doorway was onto Harabais, Toichen Chol, the inside of that chamber is Chol. So Elalash, Maminash, Nei Psochim, Hoyulo, it must have had two doors, Echot Pasuach, Kodesh, Echot Pasuach, Lechol, one opening into the Kodesh and one opening into the Chol. So interesting enough, if you ma- imagine this chamber on the north side of the temple, let me actually quickly get my diagram. I should have, uh, I'm just, I don't have my laptop set up to show it. Um, but if you imagine this chambers in the north, this chambers in the north. Now look, it's all, it's, here's the chotzer. So it's part of the chotzer. Now we just learned that it must have an entrance in the east from the temple courtyard because that's holy and that's where the lottery took place and it must have had an entrance in the west from Harabayas going inwards because that's Chol, that's where the Sanhedrin used to sit. Again, the reason is the Sanhedrin had to be able to sit and therefore it must be Chol and the lottery has to be taken in Kodesh. It must have been half-half. There must have been an invisible line down the middle where it was Kodesh and where it was Kodesh and where it was Chol. Now, why did the Sanhedrin sit on the west? Don't we generally say that heading west is more Kodesh? And we've just said that the west is Chol. So the Posuk connects the seating of the Sanhedrin to the Mizbeach. And therefore, you want to make sure that where they are sitting is as close as possible to the Mizbech, i.e. the west. So that's why they would actually move it um, to that side. Um, just an interesting Tosos here. So t- um, r- this is right at the bottom of the page. Tosos asks, he says, once you need to do the pious in Kodesh, in the Kodesh, why don't you just do it in the Chotzer? Why do you do it in a side room? Just do it in the Chotzer. So and not only that, it would have greater Kodesh. So Rabbeinu Tam answers, he says, no, since you have to take off the hat of the one who's the lottery is starting from, it would be disrespectful to stand in the temple courtyard without his head covering on, without his hat. So therefore we don't want to do it in the Chatzar. Um Rabbeinu Yitzchak Barboruk gives a different answer. He says, because they wanted to stand in a circle. Remember, they would stand in a circle and each put their fingers out in the middle. You'd end up with some people with their back to the heichal, to the sanctuary. And that would be disrespectful to stand with their back to the sanctuary. Therefore, um, you have to say that that's why they did it in a side chamber. Again, a side chamber that was holy, or at least half was holy, but not in the middle. Okay. Um, the Mishnah. New Mishnah. So remember, this was the first lottery was to do the Trumas Hadesh and Apayas Hashayni, the second lottery. This was all for the avoider of the um, Korban Tomid, the daily offerings. So he says, Mi Shoichet, the first person selected was who would shecht, then Mi Zoreik, who would do the sprinkling of the blood. Mi Medashen Mizbech Apnimi, who would remove the ash from the inner altar, or Mi Medashen Es HaMenorah, and who would remove the ash from the menorah? Umi, now the ne- so that's four Kohanim. Now we're going to see f- numbers 5 to 13 is who would carry the limbs of the Korban Tomid to the ramp of the Mizbech. He says, Mi male av- or all the atoms, Mi male avorim lekeves, who would carry the limbs to the altar? So he says, 
one kohen would do harosh varegel, the head and the right hand leg, v'shtei hayodayim, and another kohen would do the two forelegs, ha'oikets varegel, another kohen would do the tail and the left foreleg, ha'chozeb vahagera, another kohen would do the breast and the neck, v'shtei hadofonos, another kohen would do the two flanks, vahakrovayim, another kohen would do the intestines, one would carry the mincha of flower offering that was accompanied the daily offering, and the one would carry the chavitin that was the mincha offering of the kohen gadol, and another kohen would carry the wine for the labation. So we see that there were thirteen kohanim who won in this lottery. Omar ben Azai, ben Azai says, This wasn't the order that they carried it to the Mizbach. It was actually done in the, in the order that the animal would walk. We'd see, we'll see that over the page, the discussion of what order that they were carried to the Mizbach. Now the Gemara, so the Gemara asks a question. He says, Would they do one lottery and then the person who would, the Kohen who won, would get the first chance, the one to do shechita, and all the other avoiders would go from his right. You'd just automatically select the next 12 winners based on who's standing to the right of this coin. Or would they do a separate lottery for each of the kohanim, each for 13 lotteries to determine who did the avoider? So Toshma, Kaminya Arba Paisos, how you show them there were four lotteries there. But Isaacadaisa Lokala Voida Hain Mafaisim Tuvahavu. If you want to tell me that for each and every temple service they did a separate lottery, well then they would have to then why does our mission our previous Mishnah said there were only four? There would be many more. There would be one in the previous one. Four, 13 for this lottery, another, so there would be many, many more than just four. It could be saying that there are four times that they gathered to do the lottery. But maybe at each time that they would gather, they would do a few lotteries. So it's not conclusive. It says, Toshma, top of Chofeamud base. Let's try bring another proof. Rabbi Yehuda, I mean, Rabbi Yehuda says, Lo hoyo pious lemachte, ele koin she zocha bektoires hoyo lezeh, she imo zocha im, zocha imi bemachta. Rabbi Yehuda says that there wasn't a separate lottery for the machte, the one who would clear carry the coals. This is regarding the Ketores. One coin would carry the coals to the inner altar. From You'd carry the coals from the outer altar to the inner altar. And the other coin would carry the incense and burn it on those coals. So there wasn't a separate lottery. The Kohen who won the Ketores would say to the one who was next to him, you get to carry the incense. Says, so, But what do we see? That they would do one lottery and it would include multiple kohanim. It says, no, No, that's only by the mechate and the ketores, which is one avoider. It comes together carrying the coals and putting the ketores. It just can't be done by one kind, whereas all the other avoiders are separate avoiders. So maybe they would be done or chosen by separate, um, be chosen by separate Lotteries. Because Ika to Omri, some actually learn differently from here. You might say, no, it's specifically the Mechate and the Ketores that you get one lottery and it selects both Kohanim. But by all other avoiders, maybe there should be a separate lottery.
So Gomorrah says no. Basically, the Gomorrah's the logic is the reason Rabbi Yehuda. So again, the point is why did Rabbi Yehuda specifically mention the Machate and the Katoires as one that you do one lottery and it selects two Kohanim? So we thought maybe it's because that's the only one that you do one lottery for two Kohanim doing separate actions, but for all the other actions you would have separate lotteries. He says, no, that's not the reason. There's another reason. He says, Machate Srichala. Rabbi Yehuda specifically mentioned the carrying of the coals, he says, it's not, off, it's not a common avoider. The Katoris was only ever done twice a day. I don't know, maybe on your Kippur it was done a bit different, but it was basically only ever done twice a day. Whereas other Korbanos, granted the Korban Tomid was a specific Korban, but many, many Korbanos were offered every day. But a person could voluntary, voluntarily offer a donate a Korban to the Beis Amigdash. He could decide to bring a oiler. He could decide to bring a shlamim. So there were many, many korbanos. You cannot bring a katoires um, voluntarily. So the katoires was loishricha, not common. And we say it creates wealth. So maybe you would say it's very significant. Pious So it needs its own lottery. Kamashmalan comes to teach us that it doesn't get a separate lottery. So so far we've left our question unresolved. When we say that there were 13 Kohanim selected in the second lottery. We're saying there was one lottery, and basically the Kohen who won, who then, let's say it was this guy, would just select the people next to him for the rest, the other 12. But do we say that there were 13 separate lotteries? So that's it. So the Gemara answers now, it gets the answer. He says, They wouldn't do a separate lottery for each avoider. The coin who merited the Tomid, Shnaim Osar Achiv HaKohanim, 12 of his brother Kohanim, Nimshochim Imo, would just be drawn with him. Shmamina, so that's Brysa of Rebbe Chia is very clear. Uh, there was only one lottery. So the first Kohen, so again, remember they're standing in a circle with their fingers facing upwards. The Kohen who's in charge of the lottery chooses a ha-ha number, much higher than the number of Kohanim gathered there. And then he count, they take off the hat of the one Kohen where they're going to start from, and they start counting there, and they go around counting all the fingers until they reach the number that the that was initially selected, that Kohen wins the lottery. He gets the right to do Shechita, and then all the Kohanim standing next to him on the right get to do the other 12 avoiders that we mentioned. We mentioned the second lottery. Who does the Kabbalah, the receiving of the blood? We jump stages. Remember, there are four primary stages in the blood avoider. There's the Shechita, in a korban, there's the shechita, there's the kabbalah, the receiving of the blood, catching the blood in the bowl, there's the hilucha, carrying the blood to the mizbech, and there's the zrika, sprinkling the blood. Now, obviously, the hilucha would be done by the one who does the sprinkling, so he would carry it to the mizbech and sprinkle it. But we mentioned the shechita and we mentioned the zrika. So, what about the kabbalah? Who catches the blood? So he says, Do we say that it's the shoichet who does the Kabbalah as well? Because if you want to say that the Zorek does it, he might be in such a hurry to go do the prestigious avoider of sprinkling the blood that he would not wait to catch all the blood and he would run straight to the, the Mizbah to sprinkle and he's supposed to wait to catch all the blood. 
So loy makabel the oidil more perhaps zorek makabel maybe it's better to say that one going to do the zrikat as the kabbalah di omar shoychet makabel because if you want to say that it's the shoychet who does the kabbalah zimnim the shoychet zar. A non-Kohen can do the Shechita. And we know from elsewhere that the Shechita does not have to be by a Kohen. I mean, interesting enough, um, something to discuss is that only Bidiyevet, ideally a Kohen should do the Shechita, but if a non-Kohen does it, or a Kohen not in his big day, Kohen does it, it's valid? Or do we say that it, it can be done by a non-Kohen? But either way, the, the shechita can be done by a non-kohen. From the Kabbalah onwards, from receiving the blood, it would be completely invalid if it was done by a non-kohen. So if you allow the shoichet to do the Kabbalah, you might end up in a scenario where the shoichet is not allowed to do the Kabbalah and he accidentally does the Kabbalah. So maybe the Zoyrate. So Toshma, Ben Katin, also Yudbeis, Dad Lekir, Kedeshu, Yudbeis, Ochiva Kohanim, Oiskim, Betomit, Makdishim, Yedem, Veraglem, Bevas Achas. Ben Katin made 12 spots for the Kir, so that all 12 Kohanim involved in the Tomit can sanctify their hands at one time, their hands and feet at one time. We mentioned earlier in the Masechta that before doing the Avoida, the Kohanim had to sanctify their hands and feet. So they would do that from the kior. It used to only have two spouts, so they obviously have to stand in a line for a chance to do it. Ben Katin came along and made the kior with 12 spouts. But now what do we see? He says 12, not 13. We're missing one. He says, and there is no need to make a 13th because the one doing the shechita does not need kiddush and daim as it's not an avoider in this regard. As we said, it doesn't have to be done. The shechita doesn't have to be done by a kohen. And he says, If the one who did the shechita was the one who received the blood, there would be 13. We see from here that the one who sprinkles the blood, um, the one who sprinkles the blood, the one who receives the blood again, because the sh- if the shoichet was the one who sprinkled the blood, you would need a thirteen spout, so he could also do kiddush yadayim raglayim. Must be the one who's doing the shechita only does the shechita, and he actually doesn't have to do kiddush yadayim raglayim. Says Omalei Ravacha Bredrova LeRavashi Afanani Ptinina Ravacha Bredrova said to Ravashi, we actually learned this in a Mishnah. Shochat Hashoichet for Kabbal Amakabel Uvoloi Lizroik. It says the one who does the shechita. Shechset, and the one who receives the blood receives the blood, and then he comes and he sprinkles it. So that's very conclusive. Thanks, please. So then we go into and Ben Azza We listed an order that the parts were carried to the Mizbech, and Ben Azza came along and said, No, that's not the order you carry them, you carry them in the order that the animal would walk. So just before we go into the Sugya, um, we're now going to bring a four way machlokes. What order? Watch the order of the limbs as they were carried to the altar. So just two points before we go in. Firstly, everyone agrees that the head is offered first with the thigh. We'll see the reason, the right hand thigh. So that's not going to be up for debate. Whichever way you learn, the head with the right hand thigh is the first one carried to the Mizbah, as we'll see at the bottom of the page. The second important point is that most of the procedures they agree on. For example, they agree the order that you cut up the animal. They agree the order that you skin the animal. That's not where the machloikes is in. The machloikes is specifically 
that the Kohanim would wait for their peace and watch the order. They would walk in a procession to the ramp of the Mizbah. What's the order that they would walk in? That's the that's the key point. Again, not the order of what the different procedures, those they basically agree on. The question is they would each get their part. The one would get the head and the right hand leg. The one would get the two forelegs. The one would get the flanks, etc. And then which order would they walk in a line to the Mizbah? That's the whole discussion. And we're going to see four opinions on that. So he says, First opinion. What is the way that they would carry the limbs to the Mizbah? Remember, this is the Korban Tomit, it was shechted, you've the blood was sprinkled, etc. And part of the avoid is the limbs were burnt on the Mizbah. But the, the first, we're discussing the first stage where they were carried to the ramp, not yet onto the Mizbah, but to the ramp. So, Derech so the first opinion says the way that the animal would walk. So, if you imagine the animal walking, we're going to move back through the animal from head to toes. He says, Harosh Varegel would be first, Hachozabakera, the chest and the neck, Shteyodaim, the two forelegs. The two flanks, and then lastly, the tail and the left hind leg. Rabbi Oisi says, no, they would do it the way that it was skinned. Now, this is basically the opposite because how would they would skin it? They would hang it up by its hind leg and skin, skin it going downwards towards its head. And then obviously starting from the real rear of the animal going forward. So this is basically going to be the opposite. He says, Kate Saderek of Shoto, Harosh Varegel, first the head and the hind leg. As I said, that's undisputed. Haoikate Faharegel, the tail and the left hind leg, would be second. Third, the state of Phonus, the two flanks, for Shtayotaim, the two forelegs, Rachosibakera, and then the chest and the neck. Rabbi Akiva, third opinion, Rabbi Akiva Oimer, Derek no, the order that they would cut up the limbs of the animal. The, it was cut up into these specific pieces as we mentioned. And in the order that they would cut it, that is the order that they would distribute it. Now, as I mentioned, everyone agrees in the order they cut it. The argument is what way were they carried to the Mizbeach, to the ramp. And Rabbi Akiva holds they were carried in the same order that they were cut up. First he says, Kaitsa Derech Nitucho, Harosh Varegel, first the head and the right hind leg, Shtayodain, the two forelegs, Hachoze Vahagera, the chest and the throat, the, the neck, Shtayotophonos, the two flanks, Vahoyket Varegel, and lastly the tail and the left hind leg. Rebiyosi Oimer, changing that from Rebiyosi, actually Rebiyosi Oimer, Derech Ilui Hoyokarev. No, it was offered in order of the value of that cut of meat either order it's not based on any of the others order on what's a good cut of meat what's the prime cut says so kate saderich what's its value what's based on its prime cut says harosh varegel first the head and the hind leg hachaze vagera the chest and the throat stayed the phonos the two flanks haoikates vaharegel the tail and the left hind leg vishtayodaim and then the two forelegs now the Gomorrah is just going to bring out so, Rabbi Yossi ranked the meat. Rabbi Yossi ranked the meat based on, I guess, what would be the pram cuts, and he he ranked the flanks higher than the legs. He says, "Vahoksiv kol tov all the best limbs, the thigh and the shoulder." Now the shoulder seemed to come together, if I understood Rashi, the shoulder comes together with the flanks. So the thigh is better than the flanks. 
sorry, the shoulder, sorry, the shoulder we see, the shoulder which is the flanks, is a very highly ranked piece. When the Pasuk's mentioning the best piece, so the Gemara answers, no, hahu b'ktusha, b'kachusha, that's with the scrawny animal. I, the Pasuk over there is discussing the wealthy people who would steal the scrawny animals from the, from the shepherds. Now, obviously, there, the shoulder has very little meat of a scrawny animal. But of a good quality animal, the shoulder is actually a very valuable piece of meat because it's very fatty, so it has a lot of flavor. Um, now, we've mentioned four opinions in this price of the order. Our Mishnah doesn't fit in with any of those. So Rav explains it. He says, Both hold, you go after, you carry them to the Mizbah in order of which is the best cut of meat. However, Mar Ozil Basar Ivro the Bisra Umar Basar Shmeina the Bisra. The one goes after which limb has the most meat on it, and the other one, Srebiosi, says, No, you go after which one is the fattiest limb. So, a different way of grading the limb. Do you grade the limb because it has a lot of meat on it? Or do you grade the limb because it has more fat on it? Which one? Oh, it's a better, more delicious piece of uh, a piece of uh, piece of meat. I mean, interesting. Even now, we know. I mean, we we're very scared of fat, uh, fatty meat. But that's actually the they they try to get as much fat in the meat and stuff because that actually when you cook it with the fat and stuff, that's really where you get the flavor. So there's two different ways. Do you want more meat or do you want a meat with lots of a fatty meat. Now my time is Salka Regal Bahari Reisha. Why is the back hind leg offered with the head? So he says, no, Mishum Duration, Efishibat, Somos Kolva Regal Bahari. Because the head is very bony, it's basically just skull, I guess, with a little bit of meat from the cheek and maybe the tongue. I don't know exactly where the tongue connects. Is it connected to the throat? Do you view it as part of the throat or part of the face? But either way, it's basically bone. So in order to make it more significant, to make it a more, I guess, a, in a way, a better gift to Hashem, you offer the head with the right hand leg. The hand legs have the most meat. You've got the thigh, etc. Everyone agrees that the head is offered first. Where do they get this from? Again, as we said, each one has a different way of ranking it. But all agree that you put the head. One said you go after the prime cut of meat. One said you go after the order it's cut in. One said you go after the way it walks. You go after the way it's skinned. But they all agree that the head comes first. He says, Because we learned in a Braisa, how do we know that the head and the fats are offered before all other limbs? It's head, it's fat, and then you'll arrange it. Why later on does it repeat the fats? Once we've said this, that the fats are offered with the head, why in another possible does it repeat the fats? So look at the Tanyas, we learned in Abraisa, that's to teach us that you put the fats covering the base and take it up to the Mizbah. This is a way of covered for Hashem. I remember the, the head is where the base is. It's got a horrible incision there. It's probably the next, probably still got signs of blood on it. So you cover that, you cover the, where the head, where the shchita was with these fats so that it looks more presentable when you're taking it to the Mizbah.
Okay, we'll leave it there and we'll start a new Mishnah tomorrow.